Well, good morning, Fellowship Church. The Lord be with you. Special greetings to you, however you are joining us this morning, whether you are here in the sanctuary, whether you are out in the atrium or the gym or even the youth center space, or if you are joining us online, we are glad to be with you this morning for worship. I suspect that you are aware by the news or by the schools or by your own personal experience with family and friends that the COVID numbers around us locally are not good. In fact, our county seems to be among the worst in our state, and our state seems to be among the worst in the nation, uh, which is unfortunate. And I want to take a moment just to acknowledge before you, as a fellow human being, as a pastor, that we are aware that this is a tricky subject. It is uncomfortable, and there are big feelings around it and we're aware. I want to remind you also, however, that as we gather for worship, that our identity as a church and our identity as members of the church is not in any second, third, or fourth tier issue, no matter what it might be, masks or otherwise, our identity is in Christ Jesus, most clearly marked by that baptismal font. And it is our Lord Jesus Christ who said to his followers, to us, that most important of all is to love God and to love others no matter what's going on in the world. And so as we gather for worship this morning and as you come into this place with big feelings or no feelings at all about the latest things in the headlines of our world, I want to remind you in our worship that we gather to celebrate Christ the King. Christ the King. And today is, in fact, Christ the King Sunday. So other churches are joining us in that grand celebration that he is indeed king of our lives and king of this whole wide world. So for our call to worship this morning, I invite you to join and stand with me and hear these words from the book that we love. Please stand. Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 5, where it says this. It says, in your relationships with one another, let your attitude be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself and became obedient to death." even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory and praise of God the Father. So friends, let's worship today Christ the King.
join me in prayer using the words on the screen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Yes, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Well, friends, today we have the great joy again to celebrate the sacrament of baptism, and we do so because Jesus said so. In fact, Jesus himself was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. He would later go on to instruct his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations and to baptize in his name. And in Acts chapter 2, we find the apostle Peter, the exciting one, saying to a group gathered around him, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And God keeps calling. Thanks be to God. And so we keep baptizing. Fellowship, like many other churches, recognizes baptism to be a sacrament, a word that literally means holy mystery or visible word or an embodiment of grace. It is a sacred coming together of normal visible things like water and sacred spiritual things like covenantal belonging. And in baptism, water is the primary symbol that we use because water cleanses. Water purifies, water refreshes, and water sustains. Baptism is this kind of symbol for each and every one of us. It is a sign and a seal of God's good promises to forgive our sins and wash us clean, promises to unite us to Jesus Christ in his death and his resurrection, promises to adopt us into the body of Christ, the church, promises to send the Holy Spirit upon us daily to sustain and sanctify us, and then also promises to incorporate us in his kingdom, the kingdom of the ages that lasts forever. Water is the symbol of the sacrament, and together we recognize that Jesus Christ is the living water. So I'd like to invite forward the family, if you would please. Uh, we are inviting forward Brandon and Becca Folkert with their little bundle of joy, whose name also starts with a B. And Sherry is here uh, to introduce uh, uh, for us. It is with pleasure and honor, and on behalf of the Board of Elders of Fellowship Church, that we <laughs> He's so precious. <laughs> so Brandon and Becca, we have these questions for you. Having heard of God's gracious promises to us in Jesus Christ, do you know, do you now affirm your desire to have, they have this blame, they have this Oh, it is right. I'm sorry. To have Blaine baptized today. And thereby promise to instruct your child in the truth of God's word and in the way of salvation through Jesus Christ, to pray for him and to teach him to pray and to train these children in Christ's way by your example through worship, and in the nature of the church. We do. Thank you for your good promises. You are one cute kid right there. 
Uh, we got to make a promise back to them because we are the covenant community. So would you please stand and Fellowship Church, we are going to make a declaration together. You're going to say the whole thing, and I, hopefully you can say it from your whole heart. The words are on the screen. Let's say them together. Not that. <laughs> Next. <laughs> we want to start with as a covenant community. Keep going. There we go. That's what we want. Let's say it together. As a covenant community called Fellowship Church, we promise to love, encourage, and support you, Brandon, Becca, and Blaine, by teaching the gospel of God's love, by being an example of Christian faith and character, and by giving, and by giving the strong support of God's family in fellowship, prayer, and service. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And I have a word for you, dearest Blaine Matthew, a most beautiful truth that you are God's beloved and that the Savior of the world knows your name, little guy. In fact, we know that, Blaine Matthew, it was for you that Jesus Christ came into the world. It was for you that he lived. It was for you that he died and it was for you that he conquered death. And all of this is true, even though he has no clue about it, which he obviously doesn't right now. And so we agree with the scriptures, which say of him and of all of us that we love because God loved us first. We invite families, parents, to offer a verse that they want prayed over their child on their baptism day and beyond that. And I invite you, congregation, to say it with me. Let's speak these words over Blaine Matthew. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 to 19 says, We pray that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And we pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all God's people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Thanks be to God. A beautiful verse. Hey, let's step forward, and we're going to baptize you, little guy. And I like to use a lot of water, so I hope you're ready for that, okay? It's a great symbol. Blaine Matthew, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Welcome to the family. Thanks be to God. Hey, let me make an official declaration before we join in celebration here on behalf of Blaine and before you, the congregation, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only King and Head of the Church, I declare that Blaine Matthew is now received into visible membership of the Holy Catholic Church, that he is engaged to confess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is ready to be God's faithful servant until life's end. Thanks be to God. Would you join in celebrating? How cool. Thank you very much. The gifts are for you off stage here. We'll celebrate together. And congregation, we're going to stand and sing together, celebrating not only that these promises are true for Blaine Matthew, but also that they are promises for us, the baptized, as we together remember our baptism today in song. Let's stand and sing.
Well, Fellowship Church, the Lord be with you. My name is Jess Mix, and I'm the Minister of Creative Arts and Worship here at Fellowship Church, where our mission is to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. We strive to do that in a variety of different ways, and we communicate in a variety of different ways. One of those ways is in our bulletin, where we tell you what we're up to and ways that you can be invited to join in in this mission. I want to just highlight a couple of things so you don't miss it. Uh, we have a search team update in the bulletin. Check it out. You'll want to stay up to date with all of that. They have been keeping us um, up to date as a search team, and they have a new announcement for us, so that's good. Um, this week, if you haven't figured it out yet, is Thanksgiving. I know if if you're cooking a turkey, you probably know. If you're not, you may have forgotten. So we want to let you know that this coming Wednesday evening on the eve of Thanksgiving, we invite you to come to this place here in the sanctuary at 630. All of our other community night activities will be suspended until December 1. But join us for worship and get, let's gather together as a community before we gather um, as friends and family and share food. We want to give thanks to God with each other. We will be live streaming that. So if you're worshiping with us online, we invite you to join in the same way you joined for this service. And then after that, we start Advent, which is just crazy. Uh, so we want to have you be prepared for that as well. So next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent, and we have some books that we'll be using for a devotional. They're available out near the Welcome Center. There's ornaments that go with it. Please check it out and follow along with us starting December 1 with that uh, devotional. And then also, we have wanted just to announce some progress that we have with our No Scrooge November um, initiative. As you can see, we've checked off two areas and we have two more up at the top there that we still um, would like to ha have some help with and today is the final day to do that. Uh, just a note, I talked with Karen this morning, Karen Donker and that Hope Store one, you can help us fulfill those two extra remaining um, gray spots there by making cookies or offering to help set up. That's the remaining help that we really need so talk to her if you're able to do that. And we're about to share a video with you that is the conclusion of our video series that we've been doing for the conclusion, or sorry, for this whole and series, the worship series we've been in since September. Um, we've been filming different fellowship uh, family members uh, who have shared their stories with us. And today we get to hear from Roger Price. And so thank you to Roger and to all of those who have shared their stories and done the vulnerable thing of getting behind a camera. And I also do wanna um, 
shout out and give thanks to our video and audio editing team, Bryce Vanderstel, Hajin Jang, and Steve Bronius have all done a great ton of work um, throughout these videos. So enjoy this. And after the video, the kids will be dismissed. Hi, I'm Roger Price, and my wife, Amanda, and I, and our two sons uh, have been fellowship members since around 2000. We don't even remember exactly when that was. So um, I, was, I was born with God's design, and apparently part of that was uh, I, I became an engineer, and I think that's largely because people said, well, you're good at math and, and science, you should become an engineer. So I was like, okay, I guess I will. But what, what's in me because of that is I look for facts and logic and proof of things. And that made it difficult for me to believe in the Bible. Uh, in my mid-30s, someone gave me a book to read that was about uh, physics. And that includes the really tiny, the normal, and the huge. And that would be quantum, classical or Newtonian physics, and astrophysics. And this kind of changed my world. And I started to learn that light, for instance, is two things at the same time, and they are opposites. One is a particle. Light acts just like it's a particle when we do experiments. It's really hard to do these experiments. These are super technical. And then other times, it acts like a wave, which doesn't have a local kind of reality to it. It, it just looks like it's a mysterious wave, in fact, Einstein would even call it a, a, a ghost wave, or, or, or mathematicians would call it so like this ghostly wave. They can describe it mathematically, but physically, what's going on? And so that hit me. It's like, wait a minute, light is both this and that. Physicists, by the way, over here were arguing vehemently that it was a particle. Over here, they were arguing vehemently that it was a wave. And they finally just came together and said, well, I don't know. So rather than forming two denominations, they said, somehow, it's both and. That then helped me to go back into the Bible and drop some of the things that were such big issues for me. That, well, yeah, I'm saved by grace. But there's other places where it makes it seem like, yeah, but if you're not doing works, <laughs> works, you know, uh, grace without works, faith without works is dead. You don't really have faith then. And so things that were really kind of issues for me in my black and white linear world, and yes, I wore black and white intentionally today, started to melt away. And so now I believe not only that the Bible is full of this and that, and I could give several examples, but I also believe that God's creation is full of this and this opposite. I could say some really weird things to you right now about how many dimensions are in the physical world that we just can't understand. But mathematically, they use 11 dimensions to design a computer and a microwave and a laser and anything nuclear. What do 11 dimensions mean? And so how could God, who must be at least 11 dimensional, if there's 11 dimensional creation, come into our four dimensions, you know, uh, X, Y, and Z, or height and length and width plus time, how could God come in and be a man and be God? When I started to be able to read the Bible without such a critical mind, but with more of a, I don't understand, but I think God is much more than I could understand, and Jesus was trying his best as a multi, maybe infinitely dimensional being that came into our four dimensions and tried to describe what reality is like, what the kingdom of heaven is like. Einstein taught us, and it's pretty much been proven since with experiments, that anything that goes the speed of light, which by an amazing coincidence, light goes the speed of light, uh, time has no meaning. For a photon of light that came to my eye from, uh, say, three and a half thousand years ago, no time clicked on its clock. It doesn't even have a clock. And so there's times when I look up at the sky, I'm taking the dog out 5.30 in the morning, and, and I look up and there's Orion the hunter, and I think some of that light left that star to hit my eye when David wrote Psalm 8. How glorious 
is your, is your creation. To the light that left 3,500 years ago, not a second ticked. It touched everything at the same time. That's a lot like God. Well, friends, believe it or not, today is in fact the last day of our AND series, this journey we've been on, and it's been a fun journey to do this together. It uh, may come to you as no surprise that uh, recently when I saw an ampersand on social media, it caught my attention and I was compelled to read on. It was a post by one of my wife's college housemates, and it was being uh, posted just days after World Adoption Day. And uh, as you can see up on the screen there, on World Adoption Day, the normal thing to do is to put a smiley face on the palm of your hand and put it out there. The uh, suggested idea, of course, is that adoption is a happy thing. And it is a happy thing for adoptive parents and adoptive children. And yet this post that was being posted was also acknowledging, daring to reveal a little bit more of a complexity that is in there sometimes. And so the post said this, it's World Adoption Day. Often people post a smiley face on their hand to spread awareness. I just can't post a smiley face. I can't because adoption just isn't that simple. In a perfect world, there would be no need for adoption, she goes on to say. Of course, adoption can bring great joy, but it's needed because of great sorrow. And so this person selects instead the and symbol and goes on to say that adoption is a journey of loss and love, of it's heartbreaking and joyful. It's tragic and redeeming. That's just truth. And we have been seeking to name similar truths about the Christian faith throughout this fall season. Truths like the fact that our God, God is a God of justice and mercy, or that we, God's people, are sinners and saints simultaneously, or even that life in this world is full of hardship and full of hope. Well, today we turn on to our final and pairing of this particular series, which might also be one of the most obvious in all of Scripture. It comes from the prophet Isaiah. 
and he is eager to tell us about light and dark. But before we get to that, I want to suggest today that Isaiah could have a nickname, that being the Stumpy Prophet. The Stumpy Prophet. I don't mean that to be an insult to him. I simply mean to acknowledge that Isaiah in the Bible is one of the characters who speaks most often about stumps. He speaks about a holy seed stump, which is a good thing. He speaks about smoldering stumps, which is a bad thing in context. And then most famously, he speaks about the stump of Jesse, Jesse being King David's dad and the stump being the cutoff lineage of the king. It's actually in our Advent devotional, if you're getting your book, it'll be the very first ornament for the tree, the very first reading along the way, the stump of Jesse. And so today, as we turn to the prophet Isaiah and hear the word of the Lord from him, we are hearing from the prophet who speaks most often about stumps. So I admit to you then that there are days where I wish I could be preaching to you from somewhere else. There's nothing wrong with this particular place. It's a beautiful sanctuary. We're in a good place here. But I do want to admit that this is not exactly a setting that is conducive to the mood of the world at Isaiah's time. So instead, I want to take you on a trip with me. And I want to say, let's go together to the Pacific Northwest. In airport lingo, the place is called PDX, Portland, Oregon or otherwise a nickname for that same town is, does anybody know? Stumptown, I might have heard it. Stumptown, okay? That is a uh, reference to the town's history where back in the 1800s, it was a great, great forest which was then leveled in order to build the town. And uh, it was leveled so quickly that there was not enough people and manpower to remove the stumps. It's actually a bit like the story of Dr. Seuss called the Lorax, where there's a great forest that gets leveled, and there's the picture of them cutting down the very last of the tree, and the whole land is basically a stump town. So it was for Portland. And they had stumps everywhere, and they had cartoons even that would have showing someone coming into town on a, uh, on a wheeled carriage and they have to drive around the stumps. The stumps were actually painted white on the top so that on stormy days when it was muddy, people could jump from stump to stump so as to not get their shoes muddy. Interesting history for the city. Of course, this was a derogatory term heaped upon it, stump town, by visitors, but eventually, Portland embraced this particular nickname. They became a city that loves trees more than most, actually. And they even have a coffee brand now called Stumptown. I've had a few different times. And uh, I wouldn't say it's my favorite coffee, this Stumptown coffee, but it is uh, coffee nonetheless. And they are redeeming the name, which is pretty cool. Coming back to West Michigan, I want to invite you to wonder for a minute about your favorite nearby forest. Think of what it might be. Perhaps it's the Riley Trails or Saugatuck Dunes or maybe Winstrom Park nearby, which actually was cut down. In the place that you love, that forest of yours, I suspect you've gotten used to the fresh air that you find in that space, the natural beauty, its peaceful and steady presence, in your life. But now let's pretend that all of a sudden that particular forest, your favorite forest, was cut down, deforested, decimated, the place that you loved erased. That is essentially the setting and mood of the prophet Isaiah. The world superpower at the time is Assyria, and they have literally been mowing down everybody nearby. Isaiah in Jerusalem can peer over the walls of his city, kind of like that cluster of trees right there, the only thing left standing, and realize that all around them, friends and enemies alike, have been laid low. Assyria has moved in, and it is a dark and scary and seemingly hopeless time for Isaiah and the people who are with him. His stump town, if you will, was a war-torn land. But I think we can relate, can't we? Our stump towns today may not necessarily be war-torn, but we have faced a pandemic that has cut down a lot of our favorite activities. We do live in what's called a postmodern world, which has cut down some of our favorite ideas. 
So if you've ever felt like the good old days are gone and maybe not coming back soon, or if you felt that the faith you once clung to so firmly is now somehow slipping through your fingers, or maybe if the relationships in your life that once were so life-giving are now strained or lost altogether, or if you have, because of a few careless actions or decisions lately, now found yourself in a place that you really, really, really wish you were not, then you are in good company with the prophet Isaiah. Such was his life. It was a bit of a stump town, if you will, and that makes for a rather dark world. Before we we read his words together, I invite you to join me in prayer. O Lord, our God, ever present to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I pray that you would now sanctify the preaching of your word today and set ablaze the hearts of all who hear it. May this word, your word, enlighten the ignorant, reclaim the wandering. May it establish the weak, awaken the careless, comfort the fearful, and may it make ready a people to receive their Lord, King Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So friends, I invite you now to hear the words from the prophet Isaiah speaking to a cut-down world, of dream, a world of cut-down dreams, of deep-set fears, of harsh consequences, of shadows looming all around. Isaiah shows up and offers a word of hope. He is this stumpy prophet offering a word to all of our stump-town worlds. And this is what he says. Isaiah chapter 9, starting at verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You, O God, have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you like people rejoiced at the time of the harvest or like soldiers rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors, every warrior's boot used in battle, and every garment drenched in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it, with righteousness and justice from this day on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and on those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. I'm curious, do you know what that's like? Have you known deep darkness? Have you seen great light? I heard the story recently of a mom who describes herself, her life, as defeated. It's another word for darkness, isn't it? None of her experiences are truly tragic, to be honest, but they are familiar and cumulative. She tells first of bedtime with her boys. She has four of them, from the youngest ones up to the tween age years. And she remembers at this bedtime moment that she had not yet signed the homework log of one of the kids in her particular family. So she sends the boy off to get it. When the boy returns with a binder to sign it, she sees that one of the elder brothers actually had already signed it because she was not home at homework time, and that's because she was out on the town still stuck. Stuck because she had locked her keys in the car. 
locked the keys in the car with her youngest son in the car seat in the car with the cell phone next to the son in the car seat locked. Hashtag losing at life, she thinks. Defeated, she feels. Dark, it seems. A week earlier, this same mom found herself utterly lost on how to help one of her other kids. Something was wrong, and it was disrupting the whole family, making everything wrong. She didn't know what it was until she finally concluded it must be medical. So we're going to the doctor. And off to the doctor they went. However, this particular child was in that particular mood and moment very attached to his Iron Man mask. And so he wanted to wear that to the doctor. And mom decided in the moment that you choose your battles and this is not a hill to die on. So off they went to that sterile place in a Halloween costume when it's not Halloween. As you can imagine, stares abound, judgments all around, shame deep inside, darkness. Two other times in the same month, this mother, busy, 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 accidentally in a public place, left the tailgate of her car wide open unknowingly, wide open to all the weather, all the thieves, all the other not good things that might come wandering in. Now, of course, this is not international politics, I know, but it's embarrassing, isn't it? Like the song from long ago says, Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. You know the feeling, I'm sure, on bigger and smaller scales. But this same mom eventually begins to recognize some of the bright spots in those dark moments, too. She begins to realize that, my, oh, my, an older brother helped a younger brother with their homework. That's good. She realizes that there was a nice old man who calmly waited and helped her through that whole cars in the, keys in the car situation. For her son in the Iron Man mask, a nurse showed up with an Iron Man action figure and seeking an autograph from the real deal. How cool is that? Go medical people, especially now. The Lord be with you. You are a blessing. And both times this mom left her tailgate wide open to who knows what, some good Samaritan, probably from Fellowship Church, came and just closed it rather than doing any of the other things that could have been done in that situation. Now, is it fair of me to think of these things on the big scale of light and dark? Actually, I think yes, because dark is dark wherever it is, and light is light no matter how bright. And, and our text today speaks of deep darkness and great light. And that is a bit something more, isn't it? So again, I want to take you to another place. This place is not quite conducive to the high contrast I hope you see between light and dark. So I invite you to go back with me to the Pacific Northwest. This time we're going to go two or three hours southeast of Stumptown, Portland, to a place called Bend, Oregon, a hip place. It is the home of the Lava River Cave. Perhaps you've heard of it or been there. I've been there about 10 times, and this has now become for me my go-to example of light and dark as physical experiences of spiritual realities physical experiences of spiritual realities. The Lava River Cave is a cave carved by lava running underground. It goes for about a mile, and then it just stops so that there's one way in and one way out, kind of like a cul-de-sac. First picture I have here is of the entrance to the cave, and as you can see, going in there, it is ominously dark in there. The further you go in, guess what? the darker it gets. You're going to be in some real trouble if you don't have a flashlight or headlamp of some sort along with you. The next pictures are pictures of going in there further. Of course, they're spoiled by the light that the camera needs, uh, uh, but you get the idea. The further in you go, the darker it gets. It becomes a bit of a visceral experience in that place. Eventually, you cannot even see your own hand in front of your face. You can feel it, though. It's strange. The third picture is of us at the end of the cave there where it gets narrower and narrower, darker and darker, until finally you encounter a sign that simply says, stop, 
this is the end of the cave. That in itself is its own kind of lesson in life, isn't it, right? A trip into darkness is ultimately a dead end. (laughs) But in this particular place, we would typically pause with our group, and in that moment, we would turn off all the lights and sit in silence for as long as we could take it. You can imagine, perhaps. But eventually, we'd break that dark, dark darkness in the same way that the Bible does, actually, remembering that in the beginning, into the darkness, God says, let there be light. Remembering that in the scriptures, we are reminded that God turns our darkness into light. Remembering that the New Testament acknowledges Jesus Christ as the light of the world. Remembering in that place that Jesus would then say to his own disciples that my light in you, let that light shine before others so that they may praise our God in heaven. Experiencing literally in that space that a little bit of light in a very dark place makes a big, big difference. And remembering together in that moment that the Bible actually promises us in Jesus' name that darkness cannot snuff out God's light wherever it dawns. Of course, we're not in that cave right now, so let's come back here. If you've made it there imaginatively, let's come back to West Michigan, and I want to invite you on the slightly more boring but super interesting thing of defining these terms, light and dark. What do these words mean? Biblically and scientifically, I asked, of course, for the scientific side of it and found that scientifically, light is illumination. Light is illumination. As you heard from Roger's video, it's either a wave or a particle. I surely don't know. Apparently, the scientists don't either. But whatever it is, light is illumination. We measure it in candle power or lumens or lux. Biblically, Light is God's first creation. It's the first thing in the Bible called good. In nature, light brings life. In the Bible, light is basically synonymous with salvation. But now consider again how light and dark are for us physical experiences of spiritual reality. We know this from simply living in the world. In the light, it's warm In the light, it's warm. If you were to drive south right now and find brighter sunshine, we'd start taking off layers, opening up our bodies to the light in many ways, soaking it in, kind of like the light of God's countenance shining down upon us. It's warm. In the light, also, we see light. That's what the Bible tells us, actually. And speaking of some kind of knowledge or revelation, not just information, but something that leads towards wisdom. In the light, we see light. Those who walk in the light live a good and beautiful life. Also, we know that in the light, stuff grows, right? Just look at the trees or the flowers or whatever else, things that have petals. They turn them towards the sunshine, and from that, they gain life and grow. Photosynthesis. Same with us as people, right? When God's light shines on us and in us, we grow. In the Bible, light appears in the very first chapter of the book, Genesis 1, and in the very last chapter of the book, Revelation 22, and countless times throughout the middle, almost unilaterally, it's a good and desirable thing. Darkness is a bit different, though, isn't it? And this week, I wanted to get a definition off the cuff from a professor of science, so I texted him just to see I could get the spontaneous reaction. After a short pause, finally it came through. Scientifically, darkness is the absence of light. Feels like a cheater answer, kind of, doesn't it? Come on. And yet, biblically, it's actually similarly defined. Dark is the world. Dark is the heart, if absent of God who is the light. And again, consider some of these examples we all know from life in this world. In the dark, it's cold. You know how cold it is on the dark side of the moon? Negative 300 degrees Fahrenheit. Brr, kind of cold, 
right? In Oregon, at the Lava River Cave, there's a few instances where air ventilates from the cave. You can't climb there. They've fenced it over for safety's sake. But if you go nearby, it's like standing next to nature's air conditioning system. It can be 95 degrees above ground, but it's a clean 40 degrees in the cave. When you go in, you come out shivering. It's just, it's dark in there, and it's cold. Also, and we know this well, in the dark, we're blind. We need light to see. We need light to take pictures. We cannot see in the dark. I banged my head more than enough times than I'd like to admit on the roof of that cave. You can't see. Eventually, you actually just stop moving because you can't see. In the dark, also, we unbecome. We deform, actually. History has shown us the people who spent too much time in caves as miners Uh, It begins to change their eyes and their skin. Even a recent story from a few years back where the boys' soccer team in Thailand got stuck for three weeks in a cave, if you remember those headlines. By the time they finally emerged, they needed medical attention, particularly for their eyes, but for other things. And it would have gotten worse if they were in that cave, in in that darkness for much longer. Last but not least, of course, in the dark, dark things hide. We know this, right? Rats only come out in the dark, if you will. If you go down into those deep, deep, deep places in the sea, the fish are just downright scary looking, right? Singer-songwriter Leonard Cohen says, It's a dark world, and some want it darker. The New Testament says the same thing. John chapter 3, verse 19, where it says, People loved darkness more than they loved light, because their deeds were foul. Isaiah knew this. It was his day in his land, a stump town land, a darkened world. He knew it. And yet Isaiah wanted to remind the people then, and even us now, that in this world, what matters more, even than what we do, is what God does. And he announces a God event. He announces something once and for all. He says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You'll notice Isaiah doesn't say, you know, well, uh, times are hard. Let's give up. It's all meaningless anyways. He doesn't say, come on, people, let's get going. Pull yourselves up by the bootstraps. We can do this. We can fix this. He doesn't say, the darkness is okay, let's just get used to it. No, he announces news, good news, particularly news of how God is now up to something new, bringing light to dark places, particularly those places where it is most needed and least expected. And he's not talking about the dawning of a new sun, a new planet, a new... Well, not that kind of sun, right? Not an S-U-N sun. He's talking about the coming of a son, S-O-N, the son of God, who is described in the text as a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. This one is coming to be God with us, even in the dark places, with us and for us, no matter what. That light breaks the darkness, And the good news is, we don't have to do it. The text ends by saying, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It's good news. For now, I want to focus, finally, on just one word that's in that text. It's mentioned twice. I wonder if you missed it. The word is increase. Increase. To review, the announcement is that light is coming into the world and that this is indeed good news. The result of the light coming is that two things increase. The first thing that increases is joy. Joy. Laughter kind of joy. Celebration kind of joy. The text says it this way, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. For you, O Lord, have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They shall rejoice before you as people rejoice in the harvest. Nature example, natural celebrations. And as soldiers rejoice when dividing the plunder, a kind of history example where they celebrate as well. The first thing that increases with the coming of this light is joy. The second thing that increases with the coming of this light is peace. 
Did you notice that one? It's peace. And it is fitting that we say this on Christ the King Sunday because the text says, Isaiah chapter 9, after, uh, as it's speaking about the child who is the light for us, it says, of the increase of his government and his peace, there will be no end. No end. The increase of his government and peace, no end. Friends, this is the fruit of the good news that Isaiah is announcing. This news is not a highbrowed human progressivism. It's not a mealy-mouthed kind of prosperity gospel. It's not even a wishy-washy maybe-ism of something that might happen. It's an announcement of good news. The light has dawned, and the fruit is increased joy. So I'll ask you again, friends, have you seen the light? It's piercing the darkness wherever it is. Have you seen the light? It feels like rescue and new life. If you have seen it, it is most definitely something to sing and dance about, which is exactly why they're sneaking up here right now, because we're going to do that. We're going to sing and dance about it. But I also want to say, if you haven't seen the light, I'd love to chat If you are interested or willing, if you haven't seen the light, I'd love to talk with you. Or maybe if that's too intimidating or whatever, I want to invite you simply to keep joining us on this Advent journey because in the next four weeks, we're going to lean into this light, this child, this one who is for us, the one that brings increasing joy and peace. For the good news that Isaiah announces in his dark, dark place is that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Thanks be to God. Let's stand and sing joyfully about it. I'm going to invite you to clap with the tambourine, okay? We can do this.
That is a knee slapper. Come on, that's a hoot of a song. And friends, this is the good news that comes to us from the stumpy prophet speaking to a stump town world. He says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. The fruit of it is increasing joy and peace. Thanks be to God. And so as you go from this place, may the light of God's countenance shine upon you and may it give you joy and peace. Amen.